Alright man, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 253. Uh, Jason Lingren is with me and Mark Barnett is back. He was very popular the first time we've had him. We've done a couple back-to-back episodes here with Australia. A lot of the eyes of the world are on Australia because of what's going on, specifically in Melbourne. I think they say Melbourne, but it's draconian. And let's be honest about it. I don't know, five years ago or so, maybe it's getting close to six now when I started the podcast. I was talking about what's happened here. I was saying there's going to be an end game. Look at all these things that are openly available for anyone to know who wants to take the time. But look, this is going somewhere on March 11 of 2020. Uh, that's where I marked the start for us here in the United States. So we're going to jump in uh, and talk with, uh, with uh, <clears throat> Tom about these things that are going on in Australia and get his point of view on where it might be headed, what's going on behind the scenes, and also... I'm dying to ask, are people making any meaningful inroads uh, in the legal realm, challenging the rights of a living man or a woman, these types of ideas? Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good evening, Crow. So we're doing it again. Uh, this is this six, six o'clock, so it's a little better. We recorded last night at eight. By then, I'm usually pretty wore out from a full day, but it's worth it to get these guys from Australia. Um, so many capable minds down there. Right, and uh, Australia is not letting up, is it? They're still just plunging right forward with dictatorship. Well, it feels to me like what people have said is correct, that this is a test run. And that's a double-edged sword, because if people in the area where a test run is going on don't stand up to some meaningful degree, then it's almost certain it's going to get tried elsewhere. Although I don't think, I, you know, I should be careful what I say, but it sure doesn't feel like what's happened in Melbourne could be applied here. Um, not yet, anyhow. But anyhow, shall we get Tom in here? Yes, we shall. Welcome, Tom. G'day, guys. Hey, man. So good to have you back. The first time we had you on, people were all about the things you were laying down. Um, we wanted to have you back as quickly as we could. So we did put a little space in. But I mean, there's some hellbent stuff going on down in your land, isn't there? Yeah, there's really quite a lot going on and I think a lot of people are still a bit confused as to what's going on, how to deal with it, what's going to happen in the future. It does seem like most of the world's eyes are on Melbourne in particular and what's happening and how that's going to play out because like you guys just said, it is really setting the stage for if it's not dealt with the right way by either side, it kind of determines what might go to the rest of the world. Well, what's interesting, which I had not really been completely aware of before we began doing these law series and meeting so many people from Australia, learning the close similarities between how the U.S. was set up, how Australia, but then we came to find out or come to find out that Australia is a conquered country, which makes so much of the legal ideas null and void. And we also found out things like the U.N. set up there because it was going to be their last ditch if things went south. So that does make places like Melbourne a little bit different than other places in the world, or am I off base here? No, that's absolutely true. It actually works in our favor in some ways because being a conquered nation and essentially a lawless land, it really just means that there is no law or court in the land that can get between an agreement between two people. So that's why private agreements are so powerful in Australia. They are still powerful elsewhere as well in any Commonwealth country, but just more so in Australia. And in some cases, that does work in our favor. So let's jump into that. We just spoke with uh, Mark Patelek, which will be the last show people heard before they hear this. And he was saying the same thing. Of course, he was calling it contracts. So the mm-hmm. agreement is a contract. It is the meeting of the minds. Um, but 
there's this weird thing that's going to happen because Jason and I are making a really hard run at trying to figure out how a, how a, I don't don't even got to be careful the words I, a living being, I'll just say living beings referring to living men and women. I'll say living beings can be private when they want to be private and public when they want to be public. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't felt like we've got there, but I think we're about to find a difference. I don't know this to be true, but where you are, I lost the word. What's what's the type of law that's right above common? One of the jurisdictions. Equity's above common. Equity. There, there it is. So equity. So we talked at great length with equity, and that's the jurisdiction you want to be in, according to Mark Patelik. But here, I think we're about to learn that there was some legislation of some kind put together, if that's the right word that merged common law and equity law where we are. Now, I don't know that for sure. We have yet to record the episode, but that's what you're referring to, right? You're referring to making a contract and being in the equity side of things. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, there's still the difference between a contract and an agreement is that a contract has, uh, it has the same elements meeting of the minds and all that, but it, it needs uh, consideration. Consideration is a form of payment. So consideration turns an agreement into a contract. Until there's consideration, it's still an agreement. Uh, but a, an agreement, if there, if you and I, for example, have an agreement about anything at all, whether it's who owes somebody money or who does need somebody to take a vaccine or move out of a house or whatever it is, if we have an agreement in place, a court in our country under equity is an administrator for that decision. They do not judge or rule a decision. They administrate based on whose paperwork says what. Okay, so let's get into it here. Um, You were pointing out that there are some advantages in living in what's called a lawless land because you are a conquered nation. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was covered enough for people to get the gist of things uh, by Mark in our last episode. What's going on in Melbourne is stark. Um, It's happened so quickly that it takes your breath away. Now, to be fair, I don't know, more than a year ago, Jason and I covered this kind of social rating thing that would be driven by cell phones was ported out of China into, I think it was Sydney. I don't remember. No, that's not right. It was into Darwin, which was a poke in the eye, letting everyone know this is the evolution coming. I think it was headed for Sydney. Um, These things are stark departures for the way Western cultures have lived. So jump into it. Um, What's going on in Melbourne? Are people making meaningful pushback? What's going on behind the scenes? Where are we headed with all this? Yeah, okay. So we're looking at a number of different facets here. First of all, I think we discussed it last time, but Australia is the test bed for the whole world and New Zealand. We have a large landmass, small population, but also a docile population. So you see what happens in France, United States, other greatly populated areas in the world. They riot, they stand up, they yell and scream and things like that. Whereas Australians have this whole, she'll be right, mate, attitude. That's kind of how, oh yeah, she'll be right. We say that to pretty much anything, you know, car drives through your house, ah, she'll be right. It's just kind of like a laconic, easygoing way of dealing with things. But what that does is it lulls everybody into a very false sense of safety and security. So it makes it very easy for people to roll out some regime that we're seeing now. And the majority of people don't stand up because we actually don't know how anymore. So that's why Australia is used as a test bed for the world. You can bet your bottom dollar that if this goes well for the establishment, it will be looking at being implemented, first of all, throughout more parts of Australia, second of all, through Europe and America, where don't forget you're coming into your winter season and they're going to use 
the whole flu season and things as an excuse, I think, for another wave of uh, made-up illnesses and or taking standard flu and influenza cases and calling them corona and then using Melbourne because what they're going to do is they're going to say all of our lockdown measures kept the numbers low and then they're going to say that worked and then they're going to say this is what we should be doing in other parts of the world. Uh, it goes a lot deeper than that, which I'm sure we'll get into, but um, to set the scene, I think it's important for people to realise that the way that Australians operate, the size of our landmass and the relatively tiny population that we have make us extremely easy to control. We also have per capita a lot more police and military uh, than other countries in the world. So it is a very easy place to lock down for those reasons. How are the Indigenous peoples of Australia faring right now, which may be some of the oldest races still in existence in our world. Mm -hmm. I think they, I think they have a real claim uh, to being the oldest. You know, they're referred to as Aborigines, but I guess I don't care for that word too much. So I'll refer to those peoples, those beings, as I try to correct my English on the fly here, because <laughs> I'm so used to saying the wrong thing or actually saying the opposite of what I'm intending. It's just hard for me to correct on the fly. How are, how are the indigenous beings faring during all this? Ooh, okay, so again, that's a big. So in general, not so well. In general, uh, they've always known that there's no, there was never a treaty, alliance, or agreement when this place was conquered. So technically, they still have native title. But as you know, you know, possession is nine tenths of the law, and somebody comes in and um, murders a bunch of people. They essentially just establish themselves as the owners of the land. But by law, they never were, and they they aren't now. So. They tend to not do so well, and there's obviously a lot of resentment and anger built up. There are certain elders throughout the country who are converging relatively soon, and there's going to be some um, there's going to be some new action put in place. So everything that's happening right now, I guess, to set the scene for what we will go into uh, next, is that I think it's all happening for the better. I think that what we're seeing is part of a greater whole, and the part that we're seeing is the you know, the lockdown, the draconian measures, the totalitarianism, the, uh, you know, the essential dictatorship that has become, but that's only a small part of it. I think there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, which we'll touch on. And I think it's moving, it's really galvanizing what should have happened 100 years ago. It's galvanizing that now. And I think we're moving into that. I think there will be, it won't be an easy, it won't be something easy, could be a battle, maybe, not sure. But I think that overall, it's really making people of all walks in our country uh, come together underground behind the scenes and then something is going to happen relatively soon so before i kick this over to jason see what he might want to get in here um i'll ask you if you agree with me i've been telling people this is unsustainable what's being attempted here cannot be pulled off and held for any really meaningful period of time and I know this because of the seven natural principles of the world. I know it for all these different reasons, which nature shows me to be true and correct. But let's face it, when you build a building, if your foundation is not true, that building isn't going to last very long, is it? And there is nothing no. about the foundation of what's going on that is true. Do you agree? Do you agree with me? This is unsustainable. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think that's part of the design. I'll give you what I think is we're moving to and then we can fill in the gaps. I think what we're moving to is the AI realm. I think that there is the elite, there's us, and then in the middle, there's government. And I think the government was always set up to fall apart. It was never supposed to be sustainable. And I think what we're seeing now, the people want the government eroded and the other side, the elites want that eroded too, because what's going to happen is they want AI in the middle. So what we're going to be dealing with, I think, 
what they're leading to with the 5G rollouts, like that's pretty much what's going on in Melbourne now is these networks and uh, a number of other factors to me is pointing towards leading to this. And therefore, it's going to be man versus machine almost like we've seen in, you know, Terminator, I guess, is the most the whole Skynet with Terminator things and Avatar. Like, you know how they always put things in movies, which is essentially foreshadowing what we are about to experience if we do not speak up and we just assume that it's a movie, so therefore it's false and it's a story. But yes, to set the scene, I think that's where where we're going. And 100%, I agree, it's not sustainable, but I think that that's by design. Yeah, I'm with you. Clearly, clearly, and there's, there's an idea of population reduction here too, but in my view, you're not going to see people per se come stomp out life. Um, mm. I don't accept that. It could happen here and there for misguided souls to get involved in that kind of thing. But for the most part, there's going to be offers that are very unhelpful offers that people will accept and they'll do damage to themselves. They'll shorten their own lives. They'll, you know, Lord knows. It's, it's like the inoculation that's coming. Um, we know that there's no reason for an inoculation. Therefore, you have to question what is that inoculation for? And when you begin to understand that part of it is a social contract because you're basically bowing down, you're taking a knee to what's going on and not standing up for your living being rights. The point I would make here is that when we go to AI, it almost seems like so many things will be automated that people at a high level can still live as they ever did with just a hell of a lot less people with even a higher level of servitude. Um, so it does feel like that. And not only that, when AI is in place, you know, look at YouTube, prime example, how many gazillion videos go up every day, every single one of them is policed. And that is the precursor of the AI we're about to see. But Jason, you want to jump in on this? So is there anything special about the Victoria area that they're stomping their boots down on that the other parts of Australia are just, just fine? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so just to give some background, I'm not sure how much Mark went into it, but Australia itself is a corporation listed in uh, the United States in Washington. Every state in Australia, we have, I think, seven states. I don't even know my own country. I think seven states, and they're all different. So they're all run, they all have a different uh, administrator, so to speak, or owner. So Melbourne, uh, Victoria in particular, is slightly different. Victoria was uh, one of the first places visited by one of the elite families, I think it was the Rockefellers. So when Australia, the first fleet, the story that the world is told is that uh, we were discovered by the first fleet around 1896, I think it was, something along those lines, and um, then Australia was settled and so on and so forth. But plenty of archaeological evidence shows that we have Egyptian hieroglyphics, even in, in our area where we live, that are ancient, ancient. Our original people, like you mentioned earlier, thought to be some of the oldest living people on earth. And there have been people come and go from this country many times in the past, well before, you know, the supposed settlement of white people. So some of these elites have had their eye on this country for a long time. And I think that the first fleet, the whole, you know, bringing slaves here from England was a bit of a um, bit of a ruse. It's kind of like setting things up as a story to cover what's really going on. They've always wanted this land. And I think it's got a lot to do with, first of all, the resources that are here, but also um, I think that they run some of their unsavory practices through Australia uh, in a place that the eyes of the world weren't really on. So what we're seeing in Victoria is they have a slightly different, the ownership is different is what I'm trying to say of that particular state. There is something about it, for example, uh, this isn't verified. I would need to, I'm going to say it anyway, because it's easy to find out whether it's true or not. But 
to my knowledge, there is a US warship that is in the docks in Melbourne. Now, when warships come into the country, most of our bases are up north or they're near Darwin, like you mentioned earlier. So the question is, why is it there? The, the story being that I've heard through whispers is that that's, that houses uh, American troops and they are currently in the, uh, the underground networks flushing out some of what's supposed to be there. Now, I don't know that that's verified, it's plausible, but there is definitely a lot more going on behind the scenes. Uh, there were definitely Chinese cargo planes flying in and out after the lockdowns first started, and they were full of um, not people, but uh, sorry, they were passenger planes, but full of cargo. And that was a lot of the 5G infrastructure. Nothing's reported on the mainstream news about this, but people going past with cell phones are recording these big tent setups, uh, large infrastructure uh, works going on, and everyone's asking why. So it does look like they are paving the way for the 5G um, social credit constant monitoring uh, network plus whatever unsavory elite stuff is going on underground about who knows what but that's been there for a long time so that's we're not like that young of a country we are as far as us that came from England you know us white people but there's um yeah there's been a lot going on here in this country for a long long time I'll ask the question what about a being who has figured out how to exist in the private realm? How is the social tracking, basically, the social rating system? So everybody knows what we're referring to is Jason and I, I don't even know, a year, two, three, I don't even remember, pointed out what was being built up in China because they could get away with it in a communist nation where basically you're tracked every minute of every day. You have to have a cell phone on your person. You have a social rating score. You do something wrong. You get a text saying five points have been removed. And I'm, I'm not even making a joke here. You do something heroic, you can pick up 15 to 35 points. It's not exactly clear what a heroic act is at the time of the research we did. But the rub is this. If your social rating gets down to a certain low level, your APR on any loan goes up, your ability to even get a loan may disappear. Your ability to rent apartment, use the public bikes in the city, or even get your young beings into school may disappear or evaporate. That's what we're referencing when we talk about the social tracking or the social rating system. But here, here it is, Tom. What about a person who's established themselves as in the private realm? Will they be able to dodge some of this, do you suspect? I suspect, yes. It will come down to holding your position extremely well. So I'll, I'll put it this way. What used to be a walk in the park five or 10 years ago with notices, for example, conditional acceptance, acceptance of value, all those sorts of things, they used to just, those matters used to just go away. Now they're harder. Now you've got to uh, push it a lot harder. You've got to um, put in counterclaims. You've got to go to court because they just stop. It's not that they don't work. It's just that you have to do the extra work to make it work. So I would imagine that by the time a network like that is in place, I would imagine that it's going to take a lot more than just filing a notice to say, you know, look, I don't identify as a person. I am a sovereign living man or woman. I'm not sure that that's going to hold as much weight in that system because they will also have robots and whatever else I think policing us in the not too distant future. So I think the solution is you really have to know your stuff to the point where you can hold your position verbally as well when faced with a public official you might call them, that will be in existence at that time. I think it's definitely well worth doing. But my main, my main point of view on this is that that is going to relate entirely to city centres. They're not going to put that in everywhere. 
So if you feel the need to be in a city, and usually it's because you want more money and convenience and all those sorts of things, which to me have nothing to do with life itself. Uh, if you're living in somewhere more regional, you're not going to have that problem. You live more in community. You grow your own food. You school your own kids. You uh, partake in community activities and you live a good life. I'm not sure. I think in our lifetime, at least, you know, that's what the, not the division, I don't think there'll even be borders to that extent. I just think that for the people that know what life is about and know what they want in life and they're not just caught in this rap wheel and, oh, well, this is, I don't know, this seems convenient. I just, I'll go with it and get a chip put in me. You know, for people that don't want that, we won't have to have it. Like you said earlier, it's all offers and acceptance. And if you take the offer, and uh, that's fine. I don't think they're going to force people. I think it's always worked this way. They give the offer and people go, hey, yeah, well, with the information that I have, I think there's a killer virus, therefore I'll get a vaccine. You know, I think governments look after us well, therefore I'll comply. But for those of us that don't think like that, we don't have to comply. And I think that it will just lend its way to creating the new. So that's the stimulus. The stimulus is this is what we're offering and putting in place. And those of us that do not want that, that think differently, that think a little more in line with nature, that choose to live that way, will choose to live outside the city centres like a lot of us already do. Like I don't live anywhere near somewhere that will become a smart city. Well, the other thing about that is the way we've been living may not be on offer for the people who do not accept the offer, who want to be a little closer to the idea of a living man or a woman or the natural world for the simple Mm -hmm. reason that you may not be able to get on a plane. You may not be able to rent a car. You may not be able to check into a hotel. These types of ideas where the corporate policy of these places is now backed by the corruption of the system at the highest level. Yeah, so that you're right. That is going to be more difficult because you're starting to deal a lot less with somebody's individual thought processes. For example, a clerk at a motel, you want to go and check in and they do the whole thing. Well, sir, I can't help you. This, this thing isn't allowing me to book you in. I just can't. Because now at the moment, if there's some rule or regulation, you can talk and you can, you can talk around it and you're dealing with the thinking process of another man or woman in front of you What you're talking about is removing that process altogether. And Bill Burr, one of my favorite comedians, he has a great bit on that where he talks about dealing with a checkout clerk at a store. And she's saying, you know, uh, well, Sarah, I can't help you. I don't know what to do. And he's just saying, well, I don't know what to tell you. Just lean on the keyboard. Just put some numbers in. You know, They don't have to be my phone. I'm just lean on the keyboard and just go zero to 10. That's my number. Because they just kind of go, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. But that's what it's going to be times 100 when these systems get put in place. We'll have people in place or you won't even have people. You will literally have to scan something that will allow you to move within somewhere, to rent something, to, to uh, travel within something. So, yes, it's going to be a lot more difficult, but that's why it's so important now to start learning a lot more about uh, contracts, contract law, You know your rights in general, so that you know what the offer is, you know how to conditionally accept or to uh, put in your non-consent in a way that maintains your status as a living being because all of these offers only apply to the dead. They do not apply to the living. There is still nothing on earth that can be put in place systems-wise that remove the rights of a living man or woman. They are inalienable from the beginning to the end. So you, it's just going to get a lot more difficult for the average person becoming aware of this In the time that these systems get implemented, I see that as a tall ask to be able to to operate and to be able to protect yourself in that way. I think now is a really important time to learn the basics. And this is what I'm trying to get across to people when they ask about 
the law. Like Mark is so far beyond me, it's not funny. But I've learned enough that I'm comfortable in any situation talking to a policeman, uh, a government agent or anybody to hold my position as a living man by making them incriminate themselves. I'm really comfortable at doing that. And that's just because I've put the time into learning that, not what to say back, but understanding why Mark says what he says. So when I was learning from Mark, I didn't just learn lines. I don't say, oh, he says this, and then that's what I'll say. I'll ask myself, say, why is he saying that? What is the underlying principle? So when I could understand that, now I can say anything I want because I understand why he says those things. So now when I ask a question back or I make a statement, rarely, but if I did, or if I say I don't answer those questions or whatever I say, I know why I'm saying it so that I can make up my own script. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to fall over because I'm remembering lines. Right. I mean, we just last night we recorded him. He's going to run right. He freaking not often do I get my mind blown, but in an offhand comment, he blew my damn mind when he pointed out that in the scripture that is written in red in most of the modern Bibles, which is Jesus speaking, he's holding his position as a living man and my jaw hit the floor. And the moment <laughs> yeah. I, the moment, it, cause it took me a minute to run across all the scriptural things I'm aware of. And as it, as it rolled through my mind, I went right through the new Testament, crossed over to the old Testament, went all the way back to the beginning. And I realized that Cain was holding his position as a living man when God asked him, did you kill your brother? And I was yeah. like, holy smokes. Well, that brings us that brings us to another thing I can ask you. Mm-hmm. It's well established at this point that the basis for all law, actually, I used to say in the West, I don't even need to say that anymore. Basically, the basis for the law that is taking over our world is foundationally resting upon Old Testament and New Testament scripture. Mm-hmm. So. When this kicked off, 311, where, where I count the mark of this COVID nonsense coming in the United States and poking its head out of the sea, I noticed some correspondence to Revelation. So I did some digging and I realized it looks to me like they're going to echo Revelation. Well, Jason, I have a good friend, Wayne McCroy, who never misses the thing. It turns out he was catching the same thing as I was and had actually caught other things. So what do you think? Is that what's happening here? Are we echoing through Revelation right now in their kind of sick and twisted manner? Yeah, I think so. I'll just ask a question first. Have you looked up any of the verses? Have you looked up 311 in any of the verses and see if there's a correspondence? Yeah, we did. That's how I got started. Because when I realized it was 311, I realized the 11 wasn't going away. I know that the 11 is partially drawn from the solar cycle of the sun, the May suns or the sun in May. The sun's always a part of it. So they didn't dump the 11. They just dumped the nine and went to three. Um, I knew they were leveraging off the spring energy, that huge explosion of uh, earth energy that explodes in the month of March. Um, mm-hmm. So I did, I did exactly that. I went to uh, 311 and looked it up and sure as God made little green apples, um, we started getting correspondences. And of course, this was on the back of, I think the first and I don't watch news, but the first press thing that I saw were British people being bussed out of China in buses with the white horse symbol right up top there, which had also already got me thinking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, when I got Wayne in, he had realized some things and we were doing exactly that. We rolled forward to each day past 311 where we saw the correspondence and it just got to a point 
where I, I don't remember maybe J- Jason, do you remember exactly why we decided not to cover this? There was a, a valid reason for it. I just don't recall what it was. Ooh, yeah, I don't remember what the reason was. Anyhow, so we're doing this and it turns out that um, other guests had point out that uh, the Israelis were trying to get their sheep slaughtered on the, the Temple Mount, but they could they can't yet. So as this is going on, we're coming up to the first sacrifice in Revelation and sure, sure as can be, uh, Israel has requested a permit to sacrifice a sheep off or near the Temple Mount, which is bizarre in the fullest because I had just done a whole run from who I feel are the original people that tipped over Rome and founded the Vatican, which are the priestly families from Solomon's temple, which lasted 40 years. But in those rules, the only temple in that religion or in Judaism that can sacrifice is Solomon's temple and no other place, no other place in the world. And here they are sacrificing, not at the temple. So There was all these indicators that they were following Revelation. There were other indicators that they had thrown the rules that they made themselves right out the window. But anyhow, I'm kind of rambling. You can see where I'm going here. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're going with it's it's such it's such a huge unraveling though. So for people to, I guess, get their minds around, you know, how this all comes together, it's quite it's quite involved, you know. And I don't pretend to know exactly how it all comes together either. But you know, you can start putting the pieces together and realize that at least get the overall idea of what's being put forward there is do you know about the 21st of december that's supposed to be another big day big event it's actually the biggest event probably of our lifetime because in my view it ends in era um so we have the low point of the sun which for the sun worshipers um like the masons is one of the biggest days of the year the sun dies that year with the programming for that year and the new programming comes after three days when it begins to rise again But this year, we have the great conjunction of the two big boys, Saturn and Jupiter, which is generational, once every 20-ish years. Last time brought us 9-11. On top of that, Pluto's hanging around, which they demoted after 9-11 last time because people began to figure out the involvement. So sorry to steal the thunder there, but I wanted to reiterate, yeah, we've talked at great length about the low point of the sun this year on December 21st. Yeah, great. So uh, what's happening? Is this... This one's going to just be on your private site, yeah? This episode so far? <laughs> yeah. Don't drop F-bombs. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. No, well, just because there is a convergence happening in our country, which will be at Uluru. Uluru is where Ayers Rock is, which most people know as a wonder of the world. That place is significant in so many ways. It's not just a big red rock that's sitting on top of the ground. It's, and it's a huge energy center that is the epicenter of many lines that run throughout the country and across to other parts of the world and on the 21st is where some of these elders that while speaking about earlier are converging from around the country it is supposed to be it is hailed as i mean obviously i'm not privy to the great information because that's all kept within their you know their peoples but it's going to be a huge event and i'm going to be there as well there's an actually there's an event there that i'm part of and so hopefully we'll witness something extraordinary at that time after you do this if we're all still doing what we do uh will you come back on and talk about that yeah yeah it's as long as it's stuff that can be shared of of course yeah of course of course yeah it'll be a it's going to be a big event and there's like you said you know there's there's been things happening that are all falling in line if you really see the signs if you see even to the point where if you've seen some of the grounded planes from america australia 
Canada as well. There's planes that are grounded in the airports and the engines, the jets are covered with, uh, you know, like just cover to keep dust out, but they've got symbols on them. The symbols are all like Freemason and um, they're all occult symbols. They're, it's like they, they don't hide anything. It's just they're really putting on a show, a symbolism show in many ways through dates, through overt symbolism, through the actions that are going on. It's really leading towards showing what's happening. And to answer your question as well about revelations, this is only my my opinion, but I have always found that everything in the Bible has it's kind of coded. So if we take it as a literal translation or a literal story, I think we miss some of the main points. So if we look into the coding of it, it might give us a different picture. And I've also found through my own, I've had lots of premonitions growing up and to the point where I'll see this event running over and over and over in my head, I can't get it out of my head and then it'll happen the next day. But the result is always different from how it happened in my head. The same thing happened, but it either happened to somebody else or or whatever it was, it would always happen to somebody else. So my take on the book of Revelations is that I think what we're being presented with in the story is the meat of the story, but the result, the conclusion, I think, is still up to us. So I think the event will happen, but what transpires from it is up to us, and I think that's determined by the critical mass. So how many people are able to create you know, the new, how many people are stuck in that old programming that aren't able to stand on their own two feet or aren't able to process anything to create a new reality. And I think that might determine uh, what we see as a result. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, I'm, I've dug my heels in. Um, I've gone at this. I've used the most trustworthy knowledge that I've ever gained in this world that is provable through nature where there is no lie. This is unsustainable. But what I've said is it's quite possible that I'll end my life dealing with nonsense it's quite possible this could go on 50 years or longer. It's also quite possible that this could end in the blink of an eye. But when you are playing the book of Revelation, which I think, you know, we, we walked away and I actually I started to realize some of the reasons we did it, which I won't mention here. But there were good reasons why we didn't do it. We're trying to reach a broad audience. And some of the things we would have had to do are problematic. I agree wholeheartedly with what you just said. You want to read the surface narrative of scripture and let that be a reality. You are at the lowest level of knowing. Uh, it's not even really knowing. It's more at the belief level and you are being led. When you get mm-hmm. through into the what you referred to as the coded things, now you're starting to know things and break free of, I'm a sheep, I need someone to lead me around the paddock idea. But at the end of the day, if we look at the book of Revelation, bad guys lose, right? And why do they lose? They lose because they're false. They lose because they're self-centered. They they are not, the truth will set you free. Honesty is the best, Paul. All these, the opposite side of that coin is not what we see. So it becomes this binary where, okay, bad guy's going to lose according to that tale. Or the only other possibility is that we have been convinced that the bad guy is actually the good guy. Those are the only two possibilities that that come out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so yeah. when you when you look at it like that, what you actually see is there's something else going on here. And I thought you were trying to allude to it when you went to the AI that this kind of horrible thing that's in our face right now that's unsustainable. There's something mm-hmm. else beyond it, and maybe population yeah. reduction will be a part of it. But I say again. The population reduction will be for people who can only see a surface narrative and will do horrible things to their own selves because they don't know any better. A bit like babies. 
everyone in the world should know this thing that's on offer. It will harm you. And they still do. You know what? The inoculation, the shot is a perfect example. How is it that so many people can be bought into this falsehood and think that that shot has some benefit when there are so many that realize, you know what? I'm not taking it. It ain't good. And there are actually quite a growing number that realize there's something spiritual. They're trying to break the spiritual nature of a living being. Uh, that's part of what's going on in the shot. But anyhow, Jason, you want to get in here? When you were mentioning earlier about Darwin and then now it's Victoria being used as a potential test bed, in your opinion, Tom, how well are the controllers of this world succeeding? Like, is, Are there things that we don't know about here in the States? Are people saying no? Or do you think that their plans are going quite according to plan? Well, I'll start with, I'll just go back a step and talk about the good guys maybe being the bad guys and all that sort of stuff. So there's the possibility that you would know probably who Daniel Andrews is. He's the Premier of Victoria, who's the one calling these shots about lockdowns and things. What if he was keeping the country in lockdown so that these, if it is Trump's guys, maybe, who knows, if it's allowing them to go in and do that job of doing good? So on the surface, it appears like being a dictatorship and it's bad, but it's actually working for good. I'm not saying that's the case. It's just a possibility that I think people need to ask the question. So as far as is this their plan and is it going well, there are so many people that are standing up. We had our Freedom Day last Saturday, and well, it was when people came out and just did not protest, but just a walk, a walk to uh, show support for people in Victoria and also to stand up for our own rights. Now, it went well. There were a lot of people who were put off by dissension and fear of coming out and things like that. So, yeah, on one hand, their plan is working. But overall, I've just always seen that human spirit kind of conquer in the end, like the, for the good. Like it's always going to come around to reach a point where everybody comes out and doesn't stand for it anymore. So I think we're a little way away from that, to be honest. I think it's moving in the right direction. But from what I see, especially in Victoria, there are, there's a lot of unrest, as you would expect. People are starting to question but without the faculty, without the without the real knowledge of either what's going on or, first of all, of who they are in the first place, people who have rights, and that's so far beyond the conscious understanding of most people, and that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. So while it might sound pessimistic, I think that their plan looks to be going quite well, but I've always just had the feeling that they're really not that sophisticated. The people that run it, I, I think they're just kind of, I really don't think that they've thought it really well through. Like Crow said, I just don't think it's, I think there's a lot of holes in it. It's not sustainable. And I think that it's designed, it's almost like it's designed to fail uh, for whatever reason. And then to look at that further, then we start to go into the other hierarchies of beings and that we're not, you know, necessarily that high up the food chain. And there's these other, you know, there are other entities, or if you want to call them, or other beings that have a stake in the earth as well. So that's probably beyond what we talk about today. But when you start considering those elements, you start to see the elite that run the earth is not the be all end all and that they're fallible and that these plans that have gone in place are simply because most people are sleepwalking. People have very much walked into all of the offers that they've given. Uh, like Crow said, it's not what, what I don't think we're going to see big like bombs dropped all over the earth to depopulate. I think people are going to depopulate themselves. That's and right. I remember we spoke about that uh, the second time we spoke. I think that I think a lot of people are going to go. And I'm okay with that because it's just we all make our we all have our part of the whole to to live the experience that we kind of choose to have. And remembering that, I'll just say this before you guys jump in again, 
is that we wouldn't have seen necessarily coronavirus or whatever, but when we incarnated to the earth, we would have known on some deep levels of what we were coming into. We were coming into a time where we are essentially living in this slave race system there of offers of contractual agreements, and we would have known that. And we, we still chose consciousness, choosing something to be conscious of, chose to incarnate here in this time to experience this world. So we knew what we were getting into. And so we can't really complain about, oh, wow, I never knew. You know, on some level, we knew coming in. So there's something that we all have to play a part in what we're going through, either rectifying it or living through it, whether we don't see the end of it in our lifetime or we do, kind of doesn't matter. We just have to understand that we do have a place in it. But those that are sleepwalking, maybe they it's their time to go and that's just what will happen. I don't think it's a sad thing. I think it's just a part of the evolution of what we're seeing. Well said, and you got to dance to say what you just said. Um, go ahead, Jason. I'll add something to what he just laid down, though. Well, there's the loophole that they always let people have, kind of, sort of. They're just not aware of it. They can say no. And Mark also alluded to the higher type entity sort of things, but we didn't go there that time either. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, if we're going to do that, we should make it a significant part of an episode, and we should prep so that it doesn't come off like alien grays rectally probing people because yeah. that's not that's not helping <laughs> but to get back to the idea it's spot on it's exactly where i'm at i have said i will stand for every living being i can even if they can't stand for themselves. but at the same time i know something that's not debatable to me human beings go on and so you said we incarnated here uh, maybe full well knowing what we're getting into. But you see, we also understood that's a very limited period of time. And when we go through the door called death, we're changing. We're, we're going to somewhere else. And what that might be, matter of fact, I'm reading a lot of things. I'm going back through all the cultural traditions I can on what's supposed to occur right after death to include ideas about the bardo, the astral plane. But my point here is if there are people that are so far gone that they can't even defend themselves from an offer, maybe it is time that they recycle around, learn a hard lesson, and get coming back um, because we don't end here. But I don't want to mince words here. I'll stand for everyone I can. Even if they don't deserve being stood for, I will still try to stand for them. But I'm with you all day long. Yeah, to hold out your hand. It's like, you know, it's not our job to go and grab people by the shoulders and shake them out. It's our job to at least offer our hand. If they don't take our hand, they don't take it. It's like the story about the man sitting on his roof and the floods, the, the waters are rising. A guy comes past and I think it's a fire truck or something and says, hey, climb down the ladder, you know, I'll, I'll save you. And he goes, no, no, it's all right. God will save me. And then uh, the waters rise to the roof and then some guy comes past on a boat and says, jump in, I'll save you. And he goes, no, 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 it's okay. God will save me. And then a guy in a helicopter comes past with a rope dangling down and says, quick, jump up, I'll save you. And he goes, no, it's all right. God will save me. And then uh, he drowns, but he goes to heaven, he meets God, and he goes, God, like I pray to you every day, why didn't you save me? And he says, what do you mean? I sent a guy in a truck, a guy in a boat, and a guy in a helicopter. <laughs> exactly. You know, this. I've had people within my family who would face a problem, and they'd finally just say, ah, I'll, I'll let God take care of it. And it used to drive me insane. I used to try to tell them, the creator gave you free will. You know, <laughs> what, what are you supposed to do with that? Clearly, people have no clue. I mean, you know what? We've shown time and time again that all the legal concerns that matter or the law, as we might call it, is foundationally built on the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And so that should tell you something. The people who walk in 
to these legal problems and walk out. They did not hand it over to someone else to take care of. They stood like a living man or living woman, held their ground, maintained their position, and preserved the rights given them by the creator. They did not say some other magical thing is going to go on. So people still thinking in that way, I think you should consider how the world actually works. And by the way, the world actually works connected to the Bible in ways that most of us would never have imagined 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, and they also it also teaches in many books in the Bible about, well, I mean, there's a lot of verses that talk about it, but it's essentially you being your own master in a lot of ways. And that also you can't serve two masters. I'm sure Mark would have spoken about that. When uh, God created man and then man created government, and it's like you can't serve two masters. So if you've chosen government, you've kind of forgot the creator. And your first two rules or laws that you live by is love thy neighbor and love thy creator. So uh, a lot of the Bible does teach that. And then, but too many people ask for a shepherd or ask to be led. It's like one of the stories that I keep telling people in our local groups is, uh, well, not a story, but just an old saying that if all of the money throughout the world was distributed evenly amongst everybody, like it just went, let's just even everything out. Everybody gets an equal amount based on what's in the world now. That within six months to a year, all those that were rich would be rich again. And all those that were poor would be poor again because of the mindset. Some people are investors and some are consumers. Some people just don't know how to handle, some people just don't know how to use things. They don't know how to use their energy or their mind or their time wisely. So if you're not using money wisely, somebody else is going to use it. And the analogy that I always use that I've said for a long time is that if you don't use your own mind, if you don't think for yourself, somebody else is going to use your mind for you and it just definitely won't be to your benefit. It'll be to theirs. If you let people have that control over you and govern you and not self-govern, you're always going to walk into it. So even if the world was reset, even if that happened, if people's minds aren't reset to being self-governing, then they're just going to walk into another government system that is not necessarily going to be benevolent. They might walk into a new form of dictatorship because they're literally giving that power away. Some people might stand up and offer but it's only up to people to take that. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, you guys can lead. I don't want to think, you know, tell me what to do. So I, you know, typically I would, I try to refrain from making predictions, but I think I can say what I'm about to say without almost the least bit of concern that I'll be wrong. Where we've come to and how all these offers were accepted by so many is based on materialism. And there's a core or an aspect of materialism that is self-centeredness. In other words, not caring about other living beings, other beings, man or woman, animals, all these things, the creation. That's what materialism represents. And we have hit hyper-materialism. But you see, from this point forward, there may come a stark choice, which we've kind of talked about here. And actually, Clint Richardson brought this up. You want to have Caesar's systems, then you're going to render unto Caesar. You're going to use his stuff, his money. You can't be free and spiritual 100%. And there's truth in these ideas, but my point would be for the people that are prepared to back off the hyper-materialism, the choices will become much simpler. And here's another thing to consider. Wherever the materialism goes from this point forward, every system put in place will be synthetic, not just partially synthetic or headed towards synthetic, wholly a metaphor for things that exist in the world. Everything on your phone screen is synthetic. It is a metaphor for things that actually are here. Well, I see this picture of a chair. The chair is real. I'd like to have the chair, but I'm going to interface with this synthetic metaphor to get that thing. 
Well, that thing you're after, that too will begin to fade. There will come down to the material things that are available and will be headed towards this ready player one type idea where the mind is so inured by the synthetic, by the virtual, that a thing like the Oasis is probably where that would be the dream world because it's a drug, it's a prison where no one can see the bars. It's all the things dreamed of by those people who would want to control it. But I mean, what do you think is, you know, am I right in my assertion, and it is an assertion, that hypermaterialism is what was the capper that allowed them to move to where they are? I'd agree 100%. I've said since I was a kid that the number one, number one tool of slavery throughout the world is money. It just makes, it controls the way people think and act. And I also think, you know, when I first learned the story of Plato's allegory of the cave, I thought, wow, that just shows the that just shows everything. And then, but then I kind of like walked that. I kind of ran it through in my head a bit further, and I thought, what if everyone was in that cave, realized what was going on, and then they walk out in the sunshine? And I was thinking, like, if they did that, does that automatically make them able to function in a sovereign way out in the sunshine, or would they just create another cave there that people would I, have to get out I of? Think- I think you're going to have to outline the cl- the cave for those people that are not familiar with Plato. Oh, okay. Um, so just a, a basic version of it is that uh, there's a cave that uh, people are essentially chained so that they can only look one way. And behind them is a fire. And there's people that are, you would maybe call them the elite that are kind of calling the shots. So what's happening is that they're, the people that are chained and can't see too far from left and right, can only see in front, are seeing the projection of shadows playing out on on the wall. And so what they're seeing that to them is their reality because they don't know that it's being projected from somewhere else. I actually can't remember if somebody escapes or someone else comes in, but either way, what happens is somebody gets to turn around and actually see what's going on. And they, they see that there's fire, there's people calling the shots and then they see an uh, exit. And then they get out of the cave and see that the world was something completely different to what they first imagined. So that wasn't the problem. The problem was when they went back and just started to tell everybody else, Hey, actually we're being controlled. This isn't reality. Reality is something completely different. And because they'd never seen it, they just thought that that guy was crazy and then got really aggressive towards him and things like that. That's kind of like a really watered down basic version of it. But you see that a lot. You see that in our world when people might talk about, you know, getting a coronavirus vaccine or or whatever, or governments serve the people or laws protect our freedoms or, or the news tells us what's going on in the world. And you kind of, they, they have no other way of discerning the way they're thinking. And you might say to them something like, well, you know, have you thought about this? Did you know that the news is run by these people? Did you know that vaccines actually were never proven to be? And the way they will come back at you in a lot of cases, is not, oh, really? Tell me more about that. They'll more than likely get angry and almost want to attack you. And like we've seen in in the past, burn people at the stake, uh, stone them to death, bury them alive, walk them off cliffs, all that kind of thing. That's what happens when somebody questions the tribal mind, the mainstream narrative, or anything to that effect. That's kind of like all those are essentially Plato's allegory of the cave. So when we're dealing with people that come out of or they awaken into a new maybe level, I guess, like to coming out of where they were and their upper level in their understanding, what does that mean? My question when I first found out about the allegory, I was always thinking, well, what happens when they get from there? Like, won't they just create another cave unless they've really managed to figure everything out to the point where they can discern things in a way that they can still operate from integrity and not not operate on beliefs and not um, lash out and not still have the unmet needs of the child creeping through and acting out through the the adult body that they're in. It's kind of all these things played out through my mind when I was uh, in my early teens. And 
And uh, that's kind of what I'm seeing now because I I always think if people people say, oh, we want freedom and we want this and we want that. But it's like, if you don't know what you'll do with freedom, if you don't know what that looks like, if you don't know how to create from that and what you'll create, I don't think you'll have it. I think you'll momentarily get the illusion of having it as if you've come out of the cave, but then what? Like, if you don't know how to operate in that realm, I, I just see you being controlled by you're walking into other, you know, voluntarily walking into something else that you are, that's the equivalent of what you came out of. So Although that might sound slightly negative, it's just more of an observation. I just kind of think that's what I've seen people do. So I wonder what's going to happen if there was some great reset, for example. Like, are, do people have the faculties to actually operate in a way that would benefit them? Or would we still see another system come into play that basically governs everybody? You know, I kind of, I'm going to have to wrap up here, but I kind of think it would be like this. The people who got out of the cave and knew they were in the cave would do everything they could to let everyone around them know we got to do everything we can not to be back in the cave. Then after time went by, the people who remembered the cave would start saying, you know, all those people over there that don't know about the cave, if we could get them in a cave, we could run this joint. (laughs) (laughs) But there's, there's an irony for me personally with Plato, because while I don't disagree with a lot of things Plato laying down, I do disagree wholeheartedly with some of them. Um, there's no doubting he's a, he's a great mind, but in the movie Shoot the Moon, I referenced him more than once, and I really wish now, looking backwards, I had used Socrates, because Plato's work was so readily, readily put to use by all the systems I don't appreciate, but that does bring us up to the first hour of, what is it, 2.53, I think, Jason, anything you want to add? What do we want to get into for hour two? I think we uh, really didn't even scratch the surface with a lot of what Tom's all about still. We just kept going with what's going on in the world today. We were kind of middle of the road because at first I wasn't sure if we are going to run on social media. I don't think we're going to run, um, but we'll just open up full throttle for hour two and we'll cover all those things. And let's get into some of the more dark recesses of what we expect is going on. And I'll tell you another thing, we need to better suss out an observation that Tom made that I made years ago doing the work. I had to stop and say, am I outing people that are actually making it appear like they're doing all these horrible things so this other good thing can get accomplished? And I think a person who doesn't stop and think in that way is not being honestly looking at it from every direction. But I got to wrap up here. Join us for the second hour of 2.53 over at crow777radio.com. Actually, you're already here if you're hearing this. The main things that I think I would like to try to cover in the next hour are the things that are forefront in the minds of people that are scared to death about what's going on. And there's no reason to be scared to death. There is no reason to be scared to death. So maybe we'll pick up there. Anyhow, join us on the other side at crow777radio.com for the second hour of episode 253. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded year ahead. Cheers.
beast of knowing.